Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. In the previous episode, we talked all about the pelvic floor, what it is, the important role it plays in sexual function, as well as the do's and don'ts of Kegel exercises. Today, we're going to be continuing our conversation on pelvic health by exploring the world of pelvic floor physical therapy. This kind of therapy can potentially be used to treat a wide range of issues. For example, pelvic floor therapy can help to resolve everything from painful intercourse in women to erectile dysfunction and premature ejaculation in men. It can also improve the outcomes of certain gender affirmation surgeries among transgender persons. So how do you know whether pelvic floor physical therapy is right for you? What does this kind of therapy look like? And how do you go about finding a provider? Let's talk about it. I am joined once again by Dr. Alicia Jeffrey Thomas, a pelvic floor physical therapist who has experience working with people of all genders and ages with pelvic health diagnoses. She spreads evidence-based pelvic health information in humorous and relatable ways on various social media platforms. Her page, The Pelvic Dance Floor, has over 1 million combined followers between Instagram and TikTok. This is going to be a fascinating conversation. Stick around, and we're going to jump in right after the break. Enhance your sexual performance with FirmTech. Check out their tech ring, which is designed to give you harder, longer-lasting erections while also tracking your erectile fitness. Wear it at night to monitor nocturnal erections and cardiovascular health, or wear it during lovemaking for a boost in the bedroom. Unlike other erection rings, FirmTex is easy to put on, adjustable to your comfort, and it can go on whether you're hard or soft. To learn more, check the show notes or visit myfirmtech.com and be sure to use my exclusive discount code, Justin20, to save 20% off your purchase. Again, that's myfirmtech.com. Become a certified sex educator, counselor, or therapist with the Modern Sex Therapy Institutes. MSTI offers 20 certification options in areas including medical sexology, kink, neurodiversity, and LGBTQIA affirmative therapy. They also offer a PhD program in clinical sexology that can be completed in two years and meets all ASEC certification requirements. All programs can be completed 100% online and are flexible and customizable to fit your schedule. You can take live courses the third weekend of each month and choose from over 300 archive workshops taught by renowned experts in the field. For more information, visit ModernSexTherapyInstitutes.com. That's ModernSexTherapyInstitutes.com. Okay, Alicia, let's talk about pelvic floor physical therapy. My first question is, who is this therapy for and how do you know if it's right for you? So I think in a really broad sense, pelvic floor therapy can be for anyone. I know that there are people with pelvic floor dysfunction as young as toddlers and people with pelvic floor dysfunction as old as old can get. And while your needs in pelvic floor therapy may change across the lifespan, if you're having any issues with bowel or bladder dysfunction or sexual dysfunction, pelvic floor therapy can be a really great tool as part of your overall care team in managing some of those issues. 
So how does one go about getting an appointment with a pelvic floor therapist? And I ask because I know that for physical therapy in general, which I recently had to get for a back injury, I had to go to my primary doctor first and then get a referral. You know, so it's like this whole process. You can't just go right into physical therapy, which is kind of frustrating because for all the pain I was in, I was like, can I start this today, please? It's like, no, you got to wait a couple of weeks to see your doctor. And then it's a whole process. But anyway. So is it the same thing with pelvic floor therapy? So do you have to go through a referral process first to kind of get there? How how does that work? It generally tends to work the same as regular physical therapy. Now, what I'll say about that is that it's worth checking with your state's laws and your insurance company to see what's actually required because most states in the U.S. now have direct access laws, which means that you can see a physical therapist without a doctor's referral or prescription. The second part of that comes with, will your insurance pay for it if you do that? If you're in kind of dire straits and you're like, hey, I need to get into somebody now, it is probably worth looking into, you know, who is in my area and, you know, do they have cash pay rates that are, you know, affordable or is there a sliding scale option that works or something along those lines? Because, the people of the APTA have fought really hard to get those direct access laws passed and so that people can have access in those situations. Yeah. So it sounds like there may be some different paths for this, but it really depends on kind of what your local area is and also how your own insurance coverage works. And, you know, that was something else I was curious about is whether people sometimes run into issues getting insurance coverage for treating sexual health issues, right? Because that's, you know, one of these areas that tends to be a little bit more fraught in the healthcare system. So is that something that you've noticed at all? Do people usually have an issue when it comes to, you know, getting this covered through insurance if it's for like a sexual health thing? So this is why I'm really comprehensive with my evaluations because most of the time, if there is a sexual health issue, there's probably some other issue as well. So is there a bowel or bladder issue as well? Is there a hip issue? Is there a back issue? And so we can kind of tie all of that in together as we're treating. There's definitely certain codes that I'm not going to use because that's going to get flagged by an insurance company. And now I work outside of insurance now, but I spent the first you know six years of practice working with insurance companies. And so if you put dyspareunia That's like a number one reason why something is going to get denied. But if you put muscle spasm, which is exactly what I'm treating, that's going to get covered. And so I think that there's ways of working around it, but I've definitely seen people run into issues with it. Yeah, that's so messed up. And for people who don't know that term dyspareunia, that refers to sexual pain, right? And it's often tied to having these muscle spasms or something where it may become impossible to experience penetration or it might be very painful. And, you know, the idea that you couldn't get coverage for that, but if you call it a muscle spasm, we could like, I don't know. It's our healthcare system is all all kinds of messed up. It's so messed up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So what would an appointment with a pelvic floor therapist actually look like? I have to imagine that some patients are probably going to be nervous or apprehensive because, you know, you're dealing with this highly personal and sensitive topic. People aren't used to talking about it. So Let's put people's minds at ease. What does a typical session look like? And how do you get patients to feel comfortable with this process when it is that, you know, highly personal issue? Absolutely. So I try to meet people where they're at and start the appointment being like, hey, I know this is an inherently weird thing. 
But just so you know, this is how I envision today going, and we can definitely modify that depending on how you're feeling. So your first appointment is a lot of talking. We go through kind of all of the different body systems. I ask a lot of personal questions so that we, we can really kind of get details about what's going on, and that starts to help me formulate hypotheses about what's going on. I will always do kind of an external orthopedic screening. So I'm looking at your hips, your back, your core, all of that stuff. And so, you know, it's not like the first thing that we're doing is, hey, walk into the room, strip down, it's time to do a pelvic floor exam. (laughs) I kind of let people ease into it a little bit, but then I always also give them the choice. I say, this is the exam that I want to do to gather this information to figure out what's going on with your pelvic floor. We can do that today if you're cool with it. We can do that on a future visit and I can just walk you through what that would look like. And I give them different options um, because I know that there are going to be people that are going to be completely fine with it on day one. Oh, you know, I've had two kids. That's fine. They're like stripping their clothes off before I can even leave the room. (laughs) But I also started my practice in the Bible Belt South. And so, you know, I know that there are people who are very reserved when it comes to these things and they're not used to talking about sex or anything to do with below the belt. And so... I want to make sure that I'm using language and practices that help them to feel okay with, you know, the thing that they're coming in and seeking care for. I do a lot of explanations with anatomical models and I, you know, kind of talk about how it ties into being a muscle, just like other muscles in the body. The other thing is that, you know, a pelvic floor muscle exam isn't like a GYN exam. So there's no stirrups, there's no speculum, there's no scary stuff, right? And so as I'm walking them through this, usually I can get people to to be a little bit more okay with the idea, especially if I kind of put them in the driver's seat and say, you have the ability to say how much we do and how much we don't do. Yeah. So it sounds like you're also kind of a psychologist of sorts when you're, you know, running these sessions, because there is a lot that you have to deal with there in terms of making the patient feel comfortable and adapting to their needs and where they are in that moment. So lots of things to consider, but I love your approach with this, starting with the acknowledgement, you know, naming the elephant in the room that this is maybe an uncomfortable topic for a lot of people, but we're going to go slow and do it at your pace. You're in the driver's seat. I think that can be a helpful approach just for you know, kind of how sexual health issues are navigated in the healthcare system more broadly, because I know lots of doctors, lots of other healthcare providers struggle with this issue of like, how do we even talk about sex with our patients? So we need a lot more sex ed for healthcare providers. Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) Now, one of the more common sexual health issues that pelvic floor therapists deal with is sexual pain in women. So how can this kind of therapy help with sexual or genital pain? And, you know, what kinds of like exercises or treatments do you do for that? So if someone is experiencing pain with penetration or pain with arousal, as we're doing our evaluation and we're mapping out the pelvic floor muscles, we're looking to see whether they are having muscle tone issues more superficially, so closer to the outside or kind of deeper to the pelvic floor. So more of that like supportive layer. And that will usually also kind of come out in our questioning, right? Is it with initial entry? Is it with deeper penetration? What's happening as the course of the sexual act goes on? Does it get better? 
Does it get worse? Do you have pain that lasts afterwards? And so based on that, we kind of start to think about different techniques that we can do with that person. I usually tend to start more broadly with, okay, what's happening with your nervous system? If we've got a lot of fight or flight kicking on when it comes to any, you know, thinking about anything internal, then I'm going to start with some diaphragmatic breathing, some stretches that will kind of start to bias the areas of the pelvis and the hips. But then, you know, we can move into doing manual stretching of the pelvic floor muscles. And that can be either digitally as I'm, you know, kind of working with my finger in the clinic or teaching them to do that at home themselves. There's also different tools that we'll use, you know, for trying to reach the deeper layers of the pelvic floor. There's like a basically like a wand that you can use to get to those deeper muscles. It's kind of like the Theracane that you use to get knots out of your shoulder, but just on a smaller scale and meant for using internally. If we're dealing with more entrance issues, so thinking like vaginismus or you know, for people that don't know that that's um, when basically the pelvic floor muscles contract or clamp down and don't allow for things to enter. So thinking like using tampons or having a speculum exam or having intercourse, we're thinking about using something like a dilator, which is a cylindrical sized object that has gradually increasing widths. And so that allows you to do some manual stretching to that entrance, but also just to focus on being able to relax your pelvic floor and your whole nervous system in the presence of something gradually larger and larger until you kind of reach whatever your goals are. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that so comprehensively and also kind of pointing out, you know, how the issues could be more superficial or deeper and all of that. And so when we're talking about something like sexual pain, it's complicated because the nature of that pain might vary a lot from one person to the next. So let's talk about pelvic floor therapy with penises, right? As I mentioned before, pelvic floor issues can potentially contribute to premature ejaculation and also erectile dysfunction. How often do you see these kinds of issues in the work that you do and what kind of exercises do you do to treat them? Yeah. So I, you know, in my current practice, I don't see quite as many men anymore, but that's because the name of the practice that I work at is called Mom Life. And so that tends to kind of deter people from coming there. But I did a lot of work with a urology practice for a while. And so I was seeing a lot of men with these types of issues. And so the pelvic floor, specifically like the bulbospongiosis muscle, is really, really important for maintaining blood flow to the penis. And it also is the thing that does that involuntary contraction to actually propel the contents out during ejaculation. And so if we're having dysfunction in that muscle or the surrounding muscles, then that can kind of impede that function there. And again, it's not as simple as doing Kegels, right? Because while we want that muscle to be able to contract, we also need it to be able to relax. And so, you you know, we're incorporating a lot of similar things in terms of teaching the pelvic floor to relax through diaphragmatic breathing, through stretching, through manual therapy, which can include, you know, trigger point release, myofascial release, things like that, both done by a therapist or done by the patient themselves. And then, you know, depending on what's going on and what level of muscles are involved, it could also involve doing internal release rectally, either, you know, using a finger or using a pelvic wand or something like that. Thank you for explaining that. I also want to ask, what is the role of pelvic floor physical therapy for transgender persons who have undergone bottom surgery? What kinds of sexual health issues might they be experiencing and how is this therapy potentially helpful to them? 
Absolutely. So for trans women, we can be really instrumental in helping to facilitate different techniques with dilator therapy. And so, you know, working on how to progress between sizes, you know, different ways of using the dilator and making sure that we have the angle correct and and all of those things, as well as, you know, if you want to involve your partner in dilator therapy, sometimes it's easier to have, you know, a third person kind of come in and say like, hey, this is how you can best help somebody. A lot of times post-op, you're also dealing with you know, some pelvic floor muscle issues because you've just had a giant surgery to that area. And so those muscles are probably freaking out and going, oh my gosh, what is happening here? In addition to just passively stretching the new tissue, you also want to kind of think about, you know, how are these muscles then going to be functioning in terms of bowel and bladder health or just, you know, pain related to sitting. And so, you know, in addition to just the dilator work, we're also doing a lot of superficial pelvic floor work, external pelvic floor work as well. And then for trans men who've had bottom surgery, it's a lot of scar tissue management um, because there's a lot of moving parts there as well, making sure that the pelvic floor muscles have good function to them so that we don't develop any kind of stress incontinence related to like the urethral lengthening procedures and really just making sure that we're managing pain well there as well. Yeah, so it all goes back to how this type of therapy can be beneficial for people of any sex or gender. doesn't matter if you're cis or trans. There's all kinds of implications and applications here. One other sexual health issue I wanted to ask you about is orgasm. We know that a lot of people experience difficulties when it comes to reaching orgasm. That's particularly true for cisgender heterosexual women. You know, there's this thing called the orgasm gap. Uh, we also know in general that women are just much more likely than men to report having difficulties, having an orgasm, or saying that they've never had one. And sometimes those orgasmic issues go along with some of these other sexual health issues we've been talking about. But I'm just curious as to whether that's something that you see in the research or in your work, that pelvic floor therapy can also be beneficial for helping people who maybe previously had trouble orgasming or whether it can make orgasms more pleasurable. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. So it again comes back to that, you know, Kegels as a treatment for all kind of conversation. Everybody says, oh, do Kegels and you'll have stronger orgasms. But we need to be thinking about that full range of motion because sometimes the reason why somebody has, you know, either an inability to orgasm or these like really lackluster orgasms is because they're moving through a very small range of motion when their pelvic floor muscles are contracting on orgasm. And so thinking about allowing for that full relaxation and then maybe doing some strengthening, you know, and that may be Kegel exercises and that may be using other exercises that are more kind of total body to just kind of get that range of motion to the pelvic floor. But I definitely think that having a healthy and well-coordinated pelvic floor kind of ties into orgasm function a lot. And I'm also a lot of times being the person to have that conversation with people about, you know, incorporating more external stimulation or different types of stimulation as opposed to just jumping to penetration because you would be, maybe you wouldn't be, but a lot of people would be really surprised just how many people have really, really poor understanding of how their bodies work. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that at all. And <laughs> it's part of the reason why I do this podcast and so much of the other work that I do because our sex ed is quite poor. Now, it sounds like you also, you know, in addition to kind of being a psychologist and having to put your patient at ease, you're also kind of a sex educator and sex therapist of sorts in this process. But that made me curious about how often 
you might be working in conjunction with a sex therapist for a given patient because we know that so many sexual difficulties are multifaceted where you've got both a physiological contributor and a psychological one. So for example, in something like sexual pain in women, there might be a combined issue of say overactive or overly tight pelvic floor muscles coupled with sexual anxiety or trauma. So is it common for people to be getting both pelvic floor physical therapy and sex therapy at the same time? Yes. And I I think it's getting to be more common. And it's one of those things where if I am seeing someone for sexual pain and I'm recognizing any of those other things that might be going on, I'm recommending that they see a sex therapist because there's a lot of things that I know, but I know that that sex therapists have this huge wealth of knowledge that I can't even begin to touch. And so I really do love having that collaborative care with sex therapists. I only wish that there were more of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there there aren't a lot of sex therapists. That kind of made me curious too about how often it is that you have sex therapists referring patients to you versus somebody, say, primary care physician because I, I have to wonder if there are, might be more awareness among sex therapists of pelvic floor physical therapy, because pelvic floor therapy is kind of this, in some ways, newer thing. And it's not, I don't think, covered very well in medical school. And so a lot of doctors just might not be aware that it even exists. So yeah, just curious if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, I think that myself and my colleagues, we've all kind of had instances of having sex therapists refer clients to us. Again, maybe it's just due to the number of them in the area that I've been in. I haven't received a ton of referrals from them directly, but it's definitely something that I want to have, you know, more of that relationship with because I feel like there's so much overlap and there's so much that we can do to help each other out. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I have another important question for you, which is what your advice is to people who might be struggling to get an appointment with a pelvic floor therapist. You know, some people might be having trouble getting a referral. There might not be one of these therapists in their local area. And so distance might be a concern, or maybe they don't have insurance coverage for it. What would you recommend if somebody's encountering roadblocks to pursuing this kind of therapy? A few different recommendations. I would go back to when we were talking about what steps are actually required in order to get access to a physical therapist. You know, you may be able to independently seek someone out without waiting for a referral, depending on the state you live in and depending on your insurance coverage. And so I would highly encourage people to check into those options making sure that you do have a good understanding of who the providers are in your area. And so there are a bunch of different directory websites that you can visit. So pelvicrehab.com, pelvicguru.com, those are kind of two of the main ones. The APTA also has a directory tool. Obviously, Google can help sometimes, but those tend to be a little bit more comprehensive. Um, And you can kind of see on the map, like, okay, like who is in my area? And that gives maybe people a little bit more direction. If they don't have someone in their area, a lot of people, you know, kind of one of the benefits of the pandemic are offering virtual consultations. And so while that's not going to be as good as seeing someone in person, because we're not going to be able to do that full internal assessment, it might at least allow you to ask some really specific questions um, if you're going to be kind of problem solving on your own. That's all super helpful. Thank you for sharing that. Now, we're running short on time, but I have one last question for you, which is about what people can do just in everyday life to maintain better health 
when it comes to their pelvic floor muscles, right? So, you know, ideally, everybody would (laughs) have healthy pelvic floors and wouldn't necessarily need to see a therapist at some point. But what are some things that we can do to just sort of maintain better pelvic floor health? A lot of it comes down to daily habits, right? So moving your body is really important. Exercising is really important um, because that's going to help with blood flow, which is going to help with that pelvic floor muscle function. You can obviously have good kind of bladder behaviors. So making sure that you're not just going to the bathroom just in case all the time, that you're relaxing when you go to go to the bathroom and aren't pushing, whether it comes to number one or number two. Something like using a step stool underneath your feet when you're having a bowel movement, that can be really good in terms of cutting down the amount of pressure that you're pushing down and placing through your pelvic floor. And even just something as simple as setting aside five minutes a day just to do some diaphragmatic breathing, just to allow your pelvic floor muscles to relax. Because like I said, the vast majority of people do tend to have too much tension in their pelvic floor. And so giving ourselves that other side of the range of motion can be really, really impactful for maintaining healthy pelvic floor muscles. That's all super helpful. So Get a squatty potty, do your diaphragmatic breathing, and only go to the bathroom when you need to go. Thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Alicia. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work and follow you on the socials? Absolutely. So I am on Instagram and TikTok as the pelvic dance floor. (laughs) The pelvic dance floor. I love it. And I have to imagine you're going to write a book someday on all of this, right? I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) I think you would be so good at it and it would be wildly successful. So thank you again for your time. I really appreciate having you here. Also, thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What you want and be sure to follow alicia on the socials at the pelvic dance floor thanks again for listening until next time 